Please turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Actually, we're going to start in verse 3 and go through 11. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 3, going to 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have, you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. If you have your Trinity hymnals, please turn with me to the back, to the Westminster Larger Catechism. On page 947, page 947, we're going to be looking at question and answer 74. What is adoption? Answer, adoption is an act of the free grace of God in and for his only Son, Jesus Christ, whereby all those that are justified are received into the number of his children, have his name put on them, the spirit of his Son given to them, are under his fatherly care and dispensations, admitted to all the liberties and privileges of the sons of God, made heirs of all the promises and fellow heirs with Christ in glory. One of the marks of our culture today is there is a disrespect for authority. In my opinion, whether it's a disrespect for the authority of the, the police, the cops, disrespect for teachers, disrespect for government officials of both parties, disrespect for even family members. I'm of the opinion that the lack of respect that 
is in our culture today. It's a, it's a kind of plague in which the belief in God is, has decreased as, because of it. Here's what I mean by that. In my opinion, people's belief system are shaped by their experiences. I know this to be true in my own children's life. We'll read about uh, the doctor, and, but they have no idea conceptually of what it means to go to the doctor. We'll read about the doctor, but then when they go to the doctor, it all sounds fun and everything until finally they get to the doctor and the doctor has to give them a shot, right? And they, they're incredibly scared and afraid because of the pain. So their mental conception of the doctor then becomes shaped by their experience, and obviously that will change over time. They'll realize that the pain in the doctor's office is a necessary pain, But consider this, that today we have many people who grow up in broken homes. They grow up perhaps without authority figures in their life to discipline them at home. Whenever they maybe cheat on a test, maybe they they cheat in a relationship they're in, they they suffer no serious consequences. There There are no real just consequences as there were in previous days, in previous times. So I'm of the opinion that it's very hard for people to understand when you present to them a God who is an authority figure, who has all authority, who would punish them for wrongdoing. It's hard for them because they've never had that experience in their life. The very thought of an authority figure who would punish them for wrongdoing is one which they've never really experienced. Therefore, to me, in my opinion, the lack of respect amongst authority is one sign that people's belief system in God has, has, has fallen. I was listening to a testimony. It was an interview with Vadi Bauckham, who was a Baptist minister, and he grew up without a father, a single mother home. He got in trouble with the law when he was very young. I didn't say how long, but I'm assuming early teens, maybe, how old he was. His mother shipped him across the country in a Greyhound bus for three days to live with his uncle, who was a Marine, or a former Marine, a drill sergeant. It was the first time that he was in the household of a man who would hold him accountable for his life. In his testimony, he said it was it was earth-shattering for him. It was as if his entire identity blew up and was reformed because for the first time, people, there was someone in his life who was holding him accountable and teaching him what it meant to live under authority. Discipline. That's what I would like us to focus on this evening, discipline. Like Justin Pillsbury, I have a fondness for three-point sermons, so here are the three points. Discipline. What should you expect from discipline? That's the first question. How do you deal with discipline? That's the second question. And finally, what can you learn from it? So what, do you, what should you expect the experience of discipline to, to be? How do you deal with it, and what do you learn from it? First, what to expect. If there's a phrase that I would use to capture some of discipline, it would be the phrase tough love. It's love, but it's tough love. We, we enjoy soft love, but discipline is really tough love. It's a way of cleansing or purifying the inside of us that is often against our will. 
Just like the discipline of a child is against the will of a child, no one wants to be grounded, no one wants to have certain privileges taken away from them, they may throw a fit. But in the same way, God disciplines us, often against our own will, for our own good. That form of discipline can come in various ways. You might experience the natural consequences of your sin. I did ministry with recovering alcoholics and drug abusers in Florida. They were often suffering the natural consequences of their sin. That might be one way in which God teaches you and purifies you of your character. Another way might be that you are suffering for doing good. Earthly fathers don't discipline punitively their children for doing good. They often reward them. But it's strange. In this life, you can do good and still suffer for it. That might be a way that God is using to cleanse your character. You might suffer bodily, emotionally, psychologically for reasons that you don't understand. This might be another way that God uses the things of this world to purify your character, to purify you. Now, one of the points, one of the experiences that we have as earthly children is that we learn, as it says in verse 10, our earthly parents disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. In verse 9, it says, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. One of the, the results of discipline earthly discipline is we grow in respect for the authorities that are over us. If we aren't disciplined, we often treat them with apathy. There's a scene in in Lonesome Dove, it's a Western film that I enjoy, where one of the cowboys has to break a horse. If you've ever seen what it's like to break a horse or witnessed it, he has to throw a saddle on the horse. It's a wild, uh, wild horse. He gets on the horse, and then the horse immediately throws him off, and he stumbles around in the dirt and dust. Breaking a horse is a very dirty business. Of course, it's it's not that different with, with us. We have to be broken. We have to be tamed in order to learn respect and learn obedience for our Heavenly Father. And unlike our earthly authorities... God has every means at his disposal. That's the scary thing. (laughs) It's quite terrifying to think about. But God has every means at his disposal. We can expect, the implication of verse 10 is that this is going to last throughout our whole entire life. Earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time, but our heavenly father is going to discipline us throughout our entire life. You can expect that. You can also expect... Verse 11, that this experience is going to be painful rather than pleasurable or pleasant. We can expect that that will be the case. Now, I would like to cassette this in the context of our adoption. Because when we speak of adoption being brought into the family of God, it often sounds like a wonderful experience. So here are some of the verses. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, 
that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Or Galatians 4, 4 through 6, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. John 1, 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That might sound like sunshine and rainbows. It might sound very nice. But the experience of it, the the feeling, for lack of a better word, I know we're Presbyterians, we don't like to talk about our feelings, and that's okay, is not always sunshine and rainbows. In, In the history of the church, adoption has been seen very closely related to justification. This is just a side note. Justification is being pardoned from our sin and accepted as righteous in God's sight only for the righteousness imputed to us uh, and received by faith alone. We receive Christ's righteousness and our sin is imputed to him. The reason that its adoption is seen as, as closely related to justification is because we have a legal right. When, when someone is adopted, they become legally a part of a family. And of course, when I read from the Westminster Larger Catechism, the very first words are that adoption is an act. The same thing is true of justification. Justification is an act. It's not a process. Therefore, when we, we are adopted into the family, when we are united together with Christ, it's a singular time. We are adopted. We are legally made a part of God's family. Nonetheless, having said that, the experience of being a son doesn't always feel wonderful. Consider this. What was the experience of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was the son in whom God was well pleased. Was his life all sunshine and rainbows? Was his life easy? There's a psalm that says, that ends with, darkness is my only companion. I often think about that psalm and thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what John Calvin has said about bearing the cross. It's also true of our, adopt, our um, excuse me, discipline. It's also true of discipline. Those whom the Lord has chosen and honored with his sonship must prepare for a hard, laborious, troubled life a life full of many and various kinds of evils. It being the will of our Heavenly Father to exercise His people in this way while putting them to the proof, having begun this course with Christ, the firstborn, He continues it toward all His children. For though that Son was dear to Him above all of the others, the Son in whom He was well pleased, Yet we see that far from being treated gently and indulgently, we may say that not only was Christ subjected to a cross while he dwelled on earth, but his whole life was nothing else than a kind of perpetual cross. The apostle assigns the reason. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Why then should we exempt ourselves from that condition to which Christ, our head, had to submit. Do you hear what Calvin is saying? 
He's saying that our head and husband is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. Therefore, you and I are going to learn obedience through what we suffer. We will undergo a kind of purification, you might say. Not a purification that justifies us, but one that cleanses us of the impurities in our character. Consider this, 1 Peter chapter 1. I love this illustration that Peter gives. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know how a goldsmith purifies gold? They take the gold, the precious metal, and they put it in a furnace. They heat the furnace really, really hot. And the impurities of the gold rise to the surface, and they skim, it skims from, they skim the, from the surface all the impurities. Peter is using a, that illustration. It's as if the fire wants to destroy the gold, but really all that the fire does is to purify it. In the same way, if, if the Lord is in your life, if the Spirit of Christ, the risen Christ, indwells in you, you will go through discipline that will feel like fire. It will feel like a furnace. But do not be afraid. It will result in the purification of your character. Not, you will never be without sin, but it will result in more character, more godliness. If that's what you can expect, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with discipline? How do you deal with discipline? One way of dealing with discipline that is not mentioned in our passage, I hope you will indulge me, that I think I should mention, is that we lament, we weep, that we we grieve. We are not Stoics. You know, the Stoics suppressed emotion. They suppressed feeling. Here's what Calvin says. Now, we have among Christians a new kind of Stoics who hold it vicious not only to groan and weep, but even to be sad and anxious. But we have nothing to do with that iron philosophy which our Lord and Master condemned not only in word, but also by his own example. For Christ both grieved and shed tears for his own and others' woes. It is okay for us to grieve, to shed tears, to weep. It is okay. We can expect that it will, it will cause us, discipline will cause us, per, perhaps, to be dismayed. And, and it is right that we grieve and lament. We don't vent to each other, necessarily, We're, we grieve to God and we, we weep and lament. That's one of the sad parts of our culture today is that we have no lamentations. Unless you belong to a church that reads the Psalms and corporate lament, we have very few lamentations. One lamentation in our current society, which is not a biblical lamentation, but I'll mention it just to mention it that I enjoy is from Les Miserables. 
when Fantine in the musical sings, I, I dreamed a dream. Here is this woman who's been completely and utterly broken, having to sell herself to feed her, her, her family. And she ends it by saying, life has killed the dream that I dreamed. That's a lamentation. That's often the way that it feels to be disciplined. You can expect to feel that way. The death of dreams, the death of desires, the death of friends, the death of many of the things that we love and cherish in this world, you can expect may be taken from us. That may be the way that God disciplines you and I. But there is hope here. In verse 6, we can rest assured that the Lord is disciplining us not because he hates us or because he has something bad in store for us. He's disciplining us because he loves us. The, one, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He's disciplining us not by casting us out, but rather he's chastising every son that he receives. The motivation behind the discipline is a loving one. It is authority wrapped in intimacy. Not just authority, not just tough love. It's also soft love at the same time, both of them. Verse 10, God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Holiness, that word, I love that the writer of Hebrews drew this word holiness out because holiness is a kind of otherworldliness. It's a kind of being set apart, a kind of quality that belongs to a higher realm. In that way, discipline is taking us out of this world to put our hope and trust in another world. Here's the second. One way to deal with it is through lament. Here's another one. Trust. Trust. I think that this is really the spirit of this passage, the way that we deal with discipline is trust in the one who is, who's doing the discipline. I've read that when a, a shepherd wants to purify or cleanse the sheep on the outside, he'll take that sheep and he will dip that sheep in a vat or a tank of antiseptic fluid. And the sheep will go crazy. They'll, they'll, they'll absolutely go berserk. Because how can a sheep understand what antiseptics is? Why could, how could they understand why they're being submerged in a tank of fluid? But it's necessary for them. Because without it, they will become the victim of parasites and disease. It's a similar thing with us. It does not feel very rational. But we must learn to trust in Christ and in our Heavenly Father. That's why we're told to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility, in verse 3, against himself. We're told that we are to consider Christ. Now, think about this. When Jesus Christ went to the cross... Everyone looked upon that. His closest followers looked upon that and had no idea why this was happening. It looked like a defeat. It looked like complete and utter failure. 
In in a similar way, looking at our crosses don't, don't make sense. We don't understand why. But through suffering, through the Lord Jesus Christ's suffering, this defeat was turned into a great victory. It was turned into what cleanses and purifies us. The difference is that when we go through fire and flame, we have someone to go through it with us. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross, there was no one there to help him. He was treated as the rebellious son would be treated in order that we would be treated like an obedient son would be treated. He got the penalty of the disobedience. We get the reward of his obedience. He was alone. Darkness was his only companion. To put it in a different way, he was forsaken. It certainly must have felt as if he were being cast out of the family. Why? So that we could be adopted as God's children and that when we are disciplined, the motivation is not the punishment for our sins. The motivation is for our sanctification and the purification of our character. Because Christ was crucified and he took the wrath of God upon himself, we know that the discipline we receive is motivated not through wrath, but through grace. What can you expect to learn from discipline, finally? It comes, one of, one of the things you can expect comes out in verse 3. You can expect, if you consider Christ, who endured hostility against himself, you can expect that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's one of the results of discipline. I don't just mean discipline one day or another day, but month after month, year after year, decade after decade of walking with the Lord, you can expect to grow in your endurance. You can also expect to have a higher respect for God. You realize how small you are, how little control you have in life, how much grace you've been given and how much you don't deserve the blessings you have. You'll grow in respect for God, just as you would grow in respect for your earthly parents if they disciplined you appropriately. One more thing. Actually, two. One of my favorite verses on this subject comes in Romans 5. Paul says this, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, Endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love is being poured out into our, heart, our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I love the process that Paul lays out. There's sufferings, the suffering produces endurance, the endurance character, the character hope, and hope does not put us to shame. I got to preach last yesterday at Joe Engel's uh, graveside service. He had told me when he was living, we talked about hope when he was in the hospital, and he told me that I should preach on that subject. One of the things that 
you can know, you should know about hope. If I were to define hope, I would put it this way. Hope is a certainty or an expectation of the future joy that we have in the age to come. Or to put it differently, I'm putting it provocatively, it's as if that future glory and joy that belongs to the age to come breaks out and is experienced in our present life. But how do you, how do you get it? You don't get it in any way other than discipline and suffering. It's that hard to understand. It's that hard for us to really grasp. It's that hard for us to really learn. And therefore, it pleases the Lord that we would bear the cross. Here's the final thing I believe that you will learn, and that is this. You will learn to despise this world and meditate on the future life. You will despise this present life and this present world. I don't mean that you will necessarily hate yourself or hate other people. What I mean is that you will learn to set your loves and affections on Christ and the age to come. Because all other loves and things in this life, you won't be able to get through the discipline. You'll have to learn to seek your happiness and joy beyond this world. No one... Calvin says, will calmly and quietly submit to bear the cross except those who've learned to seek their happiness beyond this world. I entitled this sermon The Marks or The Mark of Sonship. Of course, the mark of sonship is discipline. But there is another mark that is in the Bible, and that is the marks of Jesus. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, 17, he's ending the book of Galatians, and he says, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What is the marks of Jesus? The marks of Jesus are imprisonment, chains, scourging, blows, crucifixion. Those were the marks of Jesus. We belong to Jesus. If they were the marks of Jesus and they became the marks of the Apostle Paul, they may very well become the marks of our life as well, to a lesser extent, if the Lord is gracious. Or if the Lord is gracious, maybe just as much an extent. I don't know. But my prayer and hope for you is that you put your hope in Christ And that you do not despise the discipline of the Lord, whatever he brings into your life, but rather you learn, as Christ did, obedience through what he suffered. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you and praise you that you love us enough to discipline us. We thank you that discipline is not a mark of a lack of love, but rather it's a mark of belonging to your family. We thank you that you use even severe circumstances, even tough circumstances, to mark us out as belonging to you, to purify our character, to teach us endurance, 
and through endurance, eventually hope. I pray that we would be a people that, is, that are filled with hope, a people who learn to endure whatever life throws our way, not because we're strong and not because we can handle it, but rather because we rely on you and your grace that comes from you alone. Teach us to bear the cross willingly that we would learn obedience through what we suffer. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.